This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mr. Show, no worries on point and on the podcast. Tax the rich, the left will say, well, you have to be able to find the money. And a massive document dump of offshore finance records called the Pandora Papers reveals the richest of the rich, including many Canadians, are hiding $14 trillion in tax-free havens. It's not illegal, but it ain't ethical. And there doesn't seem to be any appetite for the taxman to go after any of these rule breakers. Facebook is accused of capitalizing off the spread of hate and disinformation that they say that they're removing from the platform. A whistleblower has come forward saying, nope, they're lying, and that the social media giant's a big reason we're seeing all the anger and division ravaging our politics. And the Ford government lays out its agenda as Queen Park finally gets back to work, but it comes with warnings of fiscal challenges heading our way. But we also are hearing promises of no cuts to spending or increased taxes. How can politicians promise anything given such unpredictable times that we are in? Let's get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. stuff. Oh, yes. Why are those in charge surprised by what happened, given they knew a party was brewing? Alex Pearson with you on this Monday, October 4th. Hoping you had a terrific weekend. It went very, very fast. Very fast, but it was a fabulous Saturday. It was like a beach day on Saturday. I went to apple picking near Ancaster. Mm-hmm. I haven't done that in years, but the kids loved it. It was a great way to spend the day. Heading into, uh, Cooler temperatures, but uh, obviously nowhere near the fun being had 10 minutes away from where we were, which was uh, McMaster University, where, I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but there were thousands of uh, students that took over Westdale. And uh, if you don't know the area, it's kind of like a little village that surrounds McMaster University. And so there's areas of student housing, but there are also a lot of family homes, very expensive homes, little shops and restaurants. And on Saturday... Over 5,000 students took over the streets after the football game in what was called a fake homecoming party. So they called them FOCO parties. And, uh, well, the kids, the cool kids do anyway. But it's happening at universities all over this country. And so it, it happened at Western and Dalhousie last week. But there were massive parties in uh, Ottawa, Carleton, and in Nova Scotia at St. Mary's University this weekend. And these, yes, they're illegal parties. And they have replaced homecoming events that have been canceled for the past two years. And so what happens? Well, exactly what you expect. And what cops and school officials should have been prepared for. And they weren't. Because these parties are no secret. And we all saw what happened in Western over the last couple of weeks. You see the fuel-induced nuttery. And so... McMaster and these other universities should be prepared for students to get drunk and nutty. 
And, uh, you know, it only takes one person in a crowd to create mayhem, which is what happened in Hamilton. I mean, there was vandalism to streets, street signs, homes. There was a car turned on its roof, yelling, barfing. I mean, it was a, it was a gong show. And residents were shocked. And now the university is tripping it so, you know, over itself to try to explain how this entirely predictable event happened. Which is young adults who have been robbed of all these first experiences and months of fun are just making up for lost time. And they will keep making up for lost time as long as they can get away with it. And who can blame them? I mean, we were all kids at one time. We all did these things. Shouldn't be stupid about it or destructive, but um, no one in charge should be surprised that the students around universities are pushing boundaries because they've had to sit at home for two years. And so you, uh, McMaster's, you know, apologizing, telling those who took part they should be ashamed of themselves. You got cops who are trying to charge those who they can identify, which in many cases is easy because young people can also be very stupid and they love documenting their every move and then posting it, even if it's illegal for the world to see. So for many of them, you know, it's just a matter of time before they get caught. But then who's responsible for paying the costs of the damage? You know, all the damage done, uh, policing costs. I mean, the schools don't have control of their students. Certainly city officials, I think, had more than enough time to mobilize bylaw officers and put enforcement in place, shut down streets. Maybe the students who get caught should pay for that. Or maybe all of the above. Because these parties come with plenty of warning. Which is why I don't understand why no one's getting out in front of these things. Why they can't put enforcement in place ahead of time. Or like, where are the bylaw officers? We are in a pandemic. We're still under emergency orders right now. Bylaw officers could be making a killing at these things, yet they never seem to show up. Where are they? Bottom line is, you're never going to stop kids from partying, but these massive events are uh, certainly out of, you know, of control because those in charge can't seem to take charge. Nonetheless, we will talk about that a little bit later in the show. Speaking of partying, Mr. Trudeau's tubular Tofino adventure is over. He is back now here in uh, Ontario. I don't know if he had as good a time as he was hoping because it was rightfully overshadowed by the fact he was caught and his office was caught. They were caught numerous lies. Numerous lies. You know, and they didn't, he didn't miss meetings because, you know, ceremonies because he was busy in meetings or he wasn't meeting privately with survivors. I mean, he was caught red-handed, marking the vacation, having a beer on a patio, walking on the beach. And he got busted. And over the weekend, he quietly apologized to the chief of the Tekemlups Squabum First Nation, which invited him twice to come to ceremonies and didn't get a response. But that's fallen flat. But indigenous leaders, they are calling for a public apology. When the prime minister talks about reconciliation, uh, please, you know, don't go on a holiday on the very first national day for truth and reconciliation. Participate in an event on the day, not the day before. Uh, that would be more in alignment with his real commitment to reconciliation. That's the voice of uh, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Roseanne Archibald. 
they're done with the talk. They want action. All the words mean nothing. And that, that's coming from a number of, of indigenous leaders. It's not just one or two. They are all saying the same thing. So will he offer a public apology? Certainly he's going to be asked about it the next time he meets with media. And he's going to have to come up with some kind of breathy explanation to explain to Canadians. And I'm sure it'll all become some kind of learning experience for us all. But right now, looking at the situation, the only reflection Trudeau seems to care about is the one he gazes at in the mirror. Certainly his loyalists don't care. They don't care if he's ever held to account. They are furious. Holy. I mean, they, they are a cult. And they will defend everything he does. Every self-inflicted screw-up that man makes, they will defend him. Blackface, well, he was just growing up. Gropefest, well, she experienced it differently. SNC, well, it's not a story. They don't care. And I don't think he does either. And I don't think he cares because I don't think he thinks he's going to get in trouble. And I think he thinks he can give a little apology privately. And just do, over time, we'll get tired of the story. It'll go away. And then it's like rinse, recycle, repeat on to the next self fueled scandal. He always gets himself into these things and he always gets away with it. And the strategy clearly is, well, if you just wait and push it off and don't apologize and don't say anything, but we'll see when he faces the media, if he ever faces the media again, where this goes. Because I don't think it's going away. And I don't think he's uh, all that happy with the job he's got now. I don't think he's happy that he didn't get his majority government. So maybe, uh, maybe... Maybe he just will do the job for a bit and then just take a walk in the sand because I don't think he cares anymore. I really don't. All right, welcome back to this Monday. And, you know, we hear it all the time. Tax the rich, tax the rich. Well, in order to tax the rich, you have to be able to get access to their money. And a massive leak of offshore financial records reveal millions of financial records of the riches of the rich, the celebrities, the royalty, politicians, figure skaters, fugitives, all these people who have managed to stash trillions of dollars into secretive shell companies offshore. And uh, this covert operation has been dubbed the Pandora Papers, the next chapter, of course, to the Panama Papers. And this pulls the curtain back to reveal that the global elites have managed to hide all this money. And yes, this leak reveals the names of these hundreds of Canadians. And the Canada Revenue Agency actually calculates that as much as $3 billion in tax revenue is lost annually to offshore accounts held by wealthy Canadians. Then you add to that as much as $11.4 billion in tax loss to corporations' use of offshore subsidiaries and then tax havens that cost Canadians. It's up, it adds up to about $15 billion a year that Canadians are not paying in taxes which then puts a burden on the rest of us. I want to bring in uh, Toby Sanger to this conversation. He's the executive director of Canadians for Tax Fairness. Good to have you, Toby. Great to be here, Alex. This is um, quite juicy. I mean, we saw what happened in the Panama Papers, and this one is no better, the Pandora Papers. But what it really does, I think, shed is that if you've got the money and you've got the the means to get through the loopholes, because it's not, I wouldn't say it's illegal necessary. It's just not really ethical. But there are loopholes clearly to be exploited, and they are being exploited. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, a lot of uh, the, the 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 measures that are taken and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, what has been found in this is probably legal, and that's a big problem, right? Uh, that that this is all legal. The other thing that has really come out on this, and you mentioned quite a big uh, 
um, what a big leak it is. It, uh, it involves 600 journalists from 150 outlets uh, spending eight, 18 months going through the data. Um, uh, th- this is just the tip of the iceberg as well. Uh, um, but Meaning still, what? They just, it's still, in terms of the information that's, that, that, that's out there, there's got to be a, a lot more information out there. And this mm-hmm. is this, uh, together with the Panama Papers, the Paradise Papers and other tactics have just been the tip of the iceberg. The other thing that has really come out on this is how many really influential people you mentioned a number of world leaders, of over 35 world leaders, uh, presidents, uh, prime ministers, former presidents, uh, uh, heads of royal families um, who've been implicated in this. And, and, and that demonstrates uh, why we haven't had a lot of progress in terms of uh, closing these. Um, they've been involved in actually helping to set up some of these uh, um, tax havens and tax avoidance techniques, and they've uh, certainly been involved in perpetuating them as well. When the Panama Papers came out, there was a lot of talk of going after them. The Trudeau government said, we will go after those who don't pay their fair share. But the bottom line is they didn't go after those who pay their fair share. And I don't get the sense, and I don't think everyday Canadians who are living paycheck to paycheck get the sense that there's any appetite or any actual ambition to go after these people um, because nothing's been resolved out of the Panama Papers. It's kind of like, well, we'll just put that one under the, the rug. And now we've got this new one, Pandora's, um, you know, findings. And again, will there be any appetite to go after those who are cheating their fair share? Well, I certainly hope that there will. I mean, governments are going to need a lot more revenue to pay for the costs of the of the pandemic and for the recovery. I certainly hope that there's uh, that there's more political will, but that uh, really depends on how the public reacts and the media pressure that's put on politicians. You're absolutely right. I mean, there hasn't uh, the the Panama Papers was five years ago. Uh, the government says it's investigating some things, but nobody's mm-hmm. been charged on it. They haven't recovered any money. There was another tax scam. I mean, clearly a tax scam uh, involving the Isle of Man uh, that the KPMG had had promoted. Uh, nobody was charged for that. They were out of court settlements and KPMG wasn't uh, wasn't prosecuted on that. Um, uh, it, it really depends on the public pressure. We have seen some movement in terms of uh, increased transparency, um, but we haven't seen a lot in terms of actual action on this. Um, the government has put more money into it. Um, um, in fact, some Auditor General reports came out and they found that the CRA, this is a number of years ago, was uh, much tougher on individuals than they are on mm-hmm. uh, on uh, larger corporations and offshore. And that's because the big guys, the big guys can afford the accountants and the lawyers who, who tend to be well placed. Other countries have acted, uh, and uh, we, and uh, you know it's high time that Canada acted too, is on the on these. Yeah, I mean, I talk to small business owners all the time who are like constantly being harassed by the CRA and they're not big money makers. They're just trying to keep their business afloat. And then you see the big whales like this. And I don't begrudge people making money, Toby. I don't want to tax the rich. I don't believe in all that stuff. But I do want people to pay their taxes if they are owed, because when you look at the burden it puts on everybody else, I mean, 15 billion a year that we lose to these tax havens, that is... Uh, yeah, that's your daycare costs. That's all your social programs. We could pay all of those things with all of that money. And, and so you would think there'd be more motivation, um, you know, to go after this and close these low poles because they know where these tax havens are. They can do it. If there's a will, they will find a way. I just don't get the sense that they're going to. 
Yeah, well, well, I mean, and one of the things is that a lot of this is perfectly legal or in a gray zone, uh, according to our existing tax, tax laws. So we need to change those. Uh, the CRA did go after some of the larger corporations, but, um, but the courts uh, ruled against them. And so that's a clear message that we need to change some of those rules, toughen up some of those rules. I mean, what this is, not only is it unfair, but... It, uh, but um, um, the use of tax havens and um, and tax avoidance on the international scale has led to, um, well, both rich getting much richer because they're the ones who are t- able to take advantage of it, but it's also led to much greater corporate concentration. So big companies like Amazon and Walmart and others have been able to take advantage of this while the Main Street businesses haven't. So yeah. what, we need, what we need is much more transparency. I mean, this came out as a leak. Um, a lot of this information shouldn't be secret. It should be public. We should know who owns what companies. Canada has been a laggard on this. Um, in the last budget, they did uh, commit to the federal government, committed to, to setting up a public registry of the of the real owners of companies. Um, Canada was bottom of the list in the G20 on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we also need to um, end the double tax double non-taxation agreements that were signed with a whole lot of other countries that allow individuals and corporations to bring back their income to Canada, essentially tax-free in a lot of ways. Um, The the, the federal government, both under Harper and Trudeau, were signing these agreements over the past 10 years with a whole lot of really overt tax havens. And uh, I mean, they were called tax information exchange agreements. Well, once you got into the details, basically allowed uh, um, those with uh, trusts or uh, shell companies or, or or money in these jurisdictions to bring to 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 continue to shelter their money on that one. There are international discussions going on right now in terms of mm-hmm. international corporate tax reforms, and the, the the individual and the corporate side is intertwined, right? Because people will often set up shell corporations, and also yeah. the wealth of the of the wealthiest billionaires is usually held up in their business, right? So so this is related to international corporate tax re- reforms, and uh, and Canada needs to support some stronger rules on that. There are big uh, big uh, meetings going on this week, actually at the OECD, and that will for, that will be at the G20. Uh, so we need a, a substantial minimum international corporate tax rate, uh, and uh, and uh, rules to stop uh, corporations for individuals from using shell uh, corporations to avoid paying taxes in Canada no and around the yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. And then crack down on all the money laundering, which, again, is a, a massive, massive issue in this country. And no one seems to uh, care about that either. Well, Toby, I know more will exactly. be coming and out. Those so. are related, yeah. too, right? Yeah. yeah, of course. Related. Yeah. Yeah. Wash your money through this country and then hide the rest in a tax haven? I don't think so. That should not be allowed to happen. It's not fair. Um, I'm out of time, but I know that there'll be more coming out, and I'm going to call you to uh, to chat about it. So I appreciate you chatting with me. Great. Uh, real pleasure talking with you, Alex. That is Toby Sanger, who is with the uh, Canadians for Tax Fairness. And again, it, it really is. Uh, look, I'm not about this whole tax the rich bit, but just pay what you owe. I, that's not asking too much, right? I guess it is. Question is, is Facebook responsible for the polarization and anger we're seeing sweep across North America? Look, I'm not dumping on Facebook. It just happens to be in the news today. Um, According to a former employee, that answer would be yes. And her name is Frances Hogan. She worked as a product manager on the civic misinformation team at Facebook. 
And she broke her silence and appeared on 60 Minutes last night, where she accused the social media giant of repeatedly prioritizing profit over clamping down on things like hate speech and misinformation. And she would know because she worked on the team that deals with that. And she says, or she alleges, that Facebook increased polarization online by making changes to its content algorithm and then failed to take steps to reduce the misinformation on things like vaccines and vaccine hesitancy and was aware that Instagram was harming the mental health of young teenage girls. She then added that Facebook was used to help organize things like the Capitol riot on January 6th, but I think a lot of people just assumed, after uh, the company turned off safety systems following the U.S. presidential elections. Paul Davies is joining us now. He's with the Social Networking Safety. Good to have you, Paul. Thank you for having me. I can't say I was surprised by what she said, but it was a it was a pretty shocking interview given the power this company has and the polarization we have seen and the destruction being caused. I think what sticks out to me is that it can do this. Okay, so not surprising. I don't say this you know, in a bad way, but the people in the know, I don't think it's surprising at all. Is it kind of shocking? Yes, because you'd think they'd have a moral compass, which apparently they don't, <laughs> which would help in terms of you know, bringing the world into a better place. But when you talk about clicks and revenue, whatever mm. it takes. Now, what are the two things that have sold since the beginning of time? Well, fear and sex. And Facebook yeah. is great at sharing both. And the algorithms work very well. And, and by the way, I know I'm not dumping on Facebook. I have a Facebook page for my audience. It's the number one way I communicate with them. TikTok does the same thing. So we can go mm. other social media companies, but this was now outed by Facebook. And remember that, it's all about clicks. It's all about revenue. And what causes clicks? Well, fear, sex, and they know it well. And although the algorithms are very, very well created, there are two things that moderate. A human, so human, Facebook uh, subcontracts out human moderators to see if content is appropriate or not and what they need to do with it, and artificial intelligence. Now, artificial intelligence, as powerful as it is and it's been put on a pedestal, artificial intelligence has to be trained. And once it is trained, it picks up certain things and it might send information over to the human to make the further decision. But artificial intelligence, because it has to be trained, is always catching up. And so there are many groups that exist on Facebook which promote fear, conspiracy theories, extremism, all that. Except they're not maybe conducting all of their quote-unquote business there. But what they're doing is not violating the terms of service. So they're not necessarily breaking the rules. But they're saying, hey, you know what? We have a conversation happening. We're going to take this to parlor because they're not going to regulate us and kick us off. So they are facilitating but not necessarily breaking the rules. And if a human moderator sees that, they can't stop them because they haven't broken the rules within, although they know the purpose is to spread fear and hate. Right. And so what they figured was kittens and puppies and, you know, pictures of your dinner plate weren't really doing it for them. So do I understand they tweak the algorithms to therefore target what really agitates or gets people kind of um, almost addicted or drawn into either arguing or spreading more disinformation? Exactly. And so I don't have the proof. Um, this whistleblower has a proof. Do I subscribe to it based on what I know of how things work in technology? Yes, absolutely. Because like I said, TikTok was outed I think back in February, March, when someone made a bunch of bots. And they said, TikTok knows what you're thinking, what you want to look at, how long you'll spend there. Facebook is doing the same thing, except one, one organization primarily targets, you know, 25 and older. One targets 25 and younger. But here's the thing. All the regulation in the world, 
and all the laws being passed is not going to change anything. Yes, this individual will sit in front of Congress and talk about it. Nothing is going to change. At the end of the day, you are a user of a platform. You have a choice. Right. Do you want to be on it or not? Does it bother you? Well, get off it. And again, not being a hypocrite, I've got, I love my followers. Um, but when I'm on it, I'm on it as a person who wants to educate. I do not click on the ads that pop up on Facebook. I don't have friends on my personal Facebook. I use it to engage mm. in my page, but I'm completely separated from what Facebook is trying to feed me. You have a choice. Yeah. Be part of it or remove yourself from it. Right. And, and darn well, educate yourself on it and know, um, you know, to take it with almost like you have to say, take it with a grain of salt. But whatever reason people, you know, they find like minded people and I'm not on Facebook, thank God anymore. Uh, I've only got Twitter. Uh, but again, it it tends to find the people that you're like minded with and then you get yourself all screaming at each other and howling into the to the noise barrier. But it's not at all. Um, healthy, and we're seeing what it's doing, uh, not just in the United States, we're certainly seeing what it's doing here in Canada. The division and polarization, I think, is the worst I've ever seen it. And um, Facebook is always before uh, Senate or committee hearings in the United States, but there are a series of meetings this week with this one particular whistleblower who's going to be taking the stand, and we'll probably talk about this. And there have been conversations, Paul, about what do we do with these huge social media companies? Do you break them down? Or have they become too predatorial? What needs to happen um, you know, I'm a really firm believer of free speech, but what has to happen to these social media platforms that they're held to account? You know, you'll have perhaps another guest tell you we need more regulation. We need more government intervention. That could be a path, Alex. The reality is it's not going to change anything. When the European Union put in regulation for Facebook about age restrictions, it got circumvented the next day. It, there's all the regulation in the world is not going to change. You made a point earlier about when we see something, a lot of us just, you know, we'll respond in motion, right? Do many people really do critical thinking? Because I educate kids on that. When you see something, pause. Do not like it. Do not forward it. Do not comment on it. I want you to do your homework on it. Well, the algorithm knows right away that if a person is reading something that takes, let's say, approximately five seconds to read, and they respond right away, boom, let's keep feeding them that. Why? Because they're not doing their homework. They haven't paused. They haven't come back to it. They haven't, you know... Did they forward it right away? Yes. Did they like it right away? Yes. Did they comment right away? And that's how it works. So who's really at fault? The adults aren't doing critical thinking. They're not doing their research. They're not doing their homework. And Facebook knows that. So it knows who to target, what to, because that'll generate even more division, if you will. Because if there's a comment and there's a reply to that comment, well, guess what? If it's not on the same page, we've got division. And now we start the whole process. I see this in boatloads of groups that I'm part of, I just sit and I watch how people interact with each other. And I'm not saying what they're doing is right, but they're, they're, they're brilliant at it because they know exactly how humanity works. Yeah. And, and nonetheless, um, and you know, if, for all those who say, oh, I hate Mark Zuckerberg or whatever, well, fine, then get off the platform. That's why I don't go on Facebook anymore because I'm not going to support his crap. And I, I, I would dismantle the page, but Paul, it takes like an hour. So I just don't use it. I don't go on it. Um, where do you see this going inevitably? I mean, uh, it kind of sometimes seems to have reached a tipping point. When do we reach the tipping point of seeing big change in this world? Or do we? I've always had this belief that when individuals are making a decision uh, for the betterment of society, unless they feel personal pain, there's really no incentive. So unless the individuals at the upper echelon of Facebook are actually feeling personal pain, I'm not saying in the wallet, I'm talking about 
human tragedy as a result of something that occurred online and someone did something intentionally to, then they have a tendency to make a change. Up until it impacts them personally, I don't see it going anywhere. I believe there'll be some new regulation put in place. They'll come out with a statement saying, you know what, we're going to correct it. We're going to be better. We're going to do better. All the stuff that mm-hmm. everyone yeah. wants to read. But what will this amount to the end of the day? Alex, I'm just being honest. If you and I were friends, absolutely nothing. So that's right. where we come into play saying, I'm going to support it. I'm not going to support it. Or you know what? I'm going to have an account because I want to see the pictures of my aunt's cat every now and again. But I'm doing nothing else except seeing pictures of the cat. It's yeah. at the end of the day, Alex, it's going to be up to the user because remember, and this whistleblower said it, it's all about profits and they got to report sure to Wall Street. Is. is Wall Street going to say anything like don't, you know, lessen your profit? No, it's all about profits. Money talks. And again, to all those parents out there letting their kids roam around on Facebook and TikTok and all these other apps. They do so at their own risk or their children's risk. All right. Well, we'll see where this one goes, but it was darn, uh, it was an interesting report. So now getting in conversation. Paul, appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. That is Paul Davies with the Social Network Safety. Not like we didn't know it, but okay, it's happening. What are you going to do about it? Ontario cannot go backwards. After 18 months of fighting this pandemic, we owe our businesses stability and certainty. Your government also recognizes that we cannot live under these exceptional measures forever. Vaccine certificates are a temporary policy that will be lifted when it's safe to do so in consultation with the Chief Medical Officer of Health. That's Ontario Lieutenant Governor Elizabeth Dowdswell signaling back to work we go, Queen's Park. She laid out the throne speech that will uh, kind of be a preview as to what I guess is to come in the 2022 election campaign. It's supposed to serve as a, a reset of the agenda. But uh, I'm not really sure what we learned because it was only a six-page document, so it was a little sparse. But the message was, you know, the focus will be to avoid lockdowns, economic recovery. It talked about things like long-term care vaccines and masking, but not a lot of detail on that. It also came with a warning, though, that um, we still are living in a lot of great unknowns with this virus. And we are also heading into some very tough fiscal challenges And so yet here they are promising no new taxes or cuts to spending, but with so much uncertainty, how on earth can they predict what they are going to need? I want to bring in Catherine Swift to this conversation, former economist, past president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses and founder of Working Canadians. Hey, Catherine. Hi, Alex. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to even figure out why bother doing a throne speech if it doesn't really (laughs) lay out a, a major agenda. I mean... They don't know what they don't know, um, but, you know, it was all really about economic recovery because the opposition, as you well know, you know, they're upset because there's no details on education in there. There's no details on, on health spending, those kinds of things. But what do you take from what you've seen? Well, it's interesting. You're, you're right. Uh, and we are. I mean, to be fair to the government and, frankly, every government, you know, in the world right now, we are still in terra incognita where, you know, we're in the massive period of uncertainty every time we seem to feel we're, you know, seeing some light at the end of the tunnel, we, we find out it's a COVID freight train coming at us. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, 
So you can, you know, you can have sympathy for, for a government trying to plan for that. The Ford government is facing re-election or potential re-election in, in eight months, not that far away in the political world. So clearly they've got their, you know, they've got their sights set on that. Um, and I, I guess I found some parts of it focusing on recovery and and recovery of the private sector. This is what... And as you mentioned in your intro there, I am an economist, so I sort of see things through that lens. And there's been much too little focus on mm-hmm. the private sector recovery um, by government, by many governments in Canada, because that's the only thing that's going to pull us out of this. Every sensible Canadian knows governments can't continue to spend like they've been spending. And yes, extraordinary circumstances for sure, but it's, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. So we need to boost the private sector businesses, the people they hire, and the tax dollars they generate to, to get us back to some semblance of you know, sanity in terms of the economy and, and fiscal policy and so on. I found some, yeah. I found some interesting kind of uh, contradictions, I guess, in the throne speech. Um, yeah, they focused on health care, you know, very sensible because, of course, people are so alarmed about what we saw as the many failings of our health care system. Uh, and they talked about things like, no, I think the wording was, no, we're not planning any painful tax hikes. <laughs> and, of course, tax hikes are always painful. Uh, <laughs> well, that's when the they rename hand, them, like uh, revenue tools or yeah, squeeze yeah, well, exactly. or whatever other name. Yeah, Whatever euphemism you want to use. But but they also go to the say to the feds, the feds have to increase their contributions to the provinces for health care. Um, and of course, the reality is, even if even if that happens, and I I frankly don't think it's going to, the provinces are all asking for that, not just Ontario. But even if they do, who are they, who are they going to tax? They're going to tax us here in Ontario, yeah. you know, as well as other yeah. provinces. So the notion of no tax increases, but oh, the feds, the feds, we want you to pay for more of this. As we all know, you know, it doesn't matter what government's paying for it. We are ultimately the ones that are taxed for it. So that I found yeah. a little sort of cute uh, for my taste. And the whole thing of healthcare too. Boy, healthcare has taken on such mythology uh, in Canada for decades, not just recently. And of course, the pandemic probably exacerbated that. But when you look at international studies of healthcare systems, we pay more in Canada and in Ontario per capita than many countries around the world who get better health outcomes, more successful health outcomes than we do. And that the key reason is because we continue to have this government monopoly healthcare system, which has no incentives for effectiveness, efficiency, and so on. Right. Keep sucking up the money. But we don't, and it's not unlike our education system, really. We spend more and more and more, and we actually kind we get of get less worse, and less and less. worse services. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's the, the one thing that's starting to really get on my nerves is this talking point of we're going to come roaring back. And I'm not yeah. sure how we're going to come roaring back. We've got a flat GDP. We have no investment here in Ontario. We've got labor shortages. I mean, the Fraser Institute just put out a report saying, you know, there's been zero growth pretty much for the last two decades. We're just ahead of Nova Scotia. We're like third last in the country for any real um, kind of growth. And even that was just pitiful. I don't know how we're going to come roaring back with the challenges that we have, um, you know, increased uh, inflation at that. There's like this perfect storm of everything going against us. And I have yet to hear a plan of here's how we're going to do it. 
Yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I don't either. Um, and I mean, the roaring back thing, I'm sick and tired of hearing the roaring back thing because nothing's roaring out there except our debt levels and our inflation uh, levels that are increasing all the time. And uh, your average person is, is experiencing this uh, every, every day. You know, you go shop groceries, uh, you pay yeah. your bills, whatever. And we've yet to see, uh, we've yet to see as, as private sector taxpayers, we have yet to see the impact A lot of public sector pensions, which, as we know, are way richer than anything the rest of us can ever hope to achieve, but they have all been devastated uh, by the last couple of years in the economy. And we, the private sector taxpayers, we're going to be asked to top those up to make all those Mm. public sector workers whole. The ones that, by the way, even though they didn't work a lot, some did, but a lot did not. Uh, you know, they still got paid, as we know. They still got paid in full week after week. In fact, they got raises. Um, mm-hmm. So we have yet to see the hits on our uh, economy on, and on our private finances, on our, like, personal family finances from yeah. all of these impacts. So, yeah, I don't see anything roaring except, um, you know, bad stuff. Yeah, and and I've got about 30 seconds left, but I would point out also all the federal aid packages for businesses run out in a matter of like weeks and they're not even sitting. So uh, someone's got to step up to the plate because we're going to be in real trouble because these businesses need some kind of stability but well, not not only that the, yeah. but when we when we see from the recent federal government election um we see trudeau and his gang talking about wanting to spend way way more on these massively costly uh social programs whether it's pharmacare dental care whatever they need to get the ndp to you know to agree with them and and who do you think is going to be paying for all of that the business community mm-hmm. and the again the private sector employees so, yeah it's, yeah, it's sad to say because we all want out of this horrible pandemic trough we've been in for so long, but it's pretty hard to see light at the end of that tunnel. So far, seems to be the running theme. Catherine, always appreciate your time. Love having you on. We'll do it again. Thank you. Look forward to it, Alex. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday starting 630 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio.